This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network. Learn more at trine.edu. Hello, I'm James Tu, Assistant Vice President for Content and Communications at Triton University, and this is the Education One podcast. Education One is the charter school authorizer for Triton University, and I have uh, three guests to talk today about equity in the charter school environment. Um, could you each introduce yourselves for those who are listening? Of course. Good morning, James. I am Lindsay Omler, Executive Director of Charter Schools for Education One here at Triton University. Good morning. I'm Caitlin Hicks, Assistant Director of Graduation Pathways and Compliance. Hi, I'm Alexandra Lung, and I am the University Partnerships and Marketing Specialist. So Education One's first guiding principle is a focus on equity. How do you define equity, and how does the principle of equity guide the work that you do? I think for us, the most simple way that we define equity is just ensuring that each child is getting exactly what they need in order to be successful in school. We see this play out just not just in Indiana, but across the education landscape. We see this play out in a variety of ways. Um, We see this play out in free and reduced lunch funding for students. We see it play out in special education funding, right? Little ways that um, the state and federal government are working to address equity gaps that exist. We see the equity gaps being much larger than just, you know, special education students or economically disadvantaged students. And so we really try to take a deeper look um, in the work that we're doing to ensure that we're addressing the equity gaps that exist And one of the ways that we do that is by making sure that one of our guiding principles is focusing on equity, right? So ensuring that we keep that at the forefront as we are creating policies for how we're measuring students um, and school accountability specifically. Looking overall at charter schools, really part of what charter schools do, or at least uh, education ones are, is to seek to address some of those equity gaps for different different publics or different uh, groups of students, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think the creation of charter schools in general is to create an innovative option in education, right, that provides high quality options for families that might not necessarily have high quality choice otherwise. So just the nature of charter schools in general is innovative and working to address equity gaps in the education system for sure. And when you're talking about the needs of students, I mean, obviously you have as many unique needs as you have unique students. So what are some ways you determine those needs? I think we look at a variety of things. So when we think about equity, we are not just thinking, a lot of times folks initially will think equity and and assume it to mean racial equity, right? And that is definitely something that we are considering when we're talking about equity in our office. But we're also looking at gender equity. We're looking at equity based on free and reduced lunch, so economic disparities that might exist. We look at equity gaps that exist for English language learners, for our special education students. Um, So we look at equity in a variety of ways, not just based on race, although that is one of the important determinants that we consider. Kind of going back to the original question, um, how does this focus on equity guide everything that uh, Education One does? That's a great question. So I think a few things. First and foremost, one of the main things that having, you know, focus on equity as a guiding principle for us does is it really centers this idea for us around the fact that we are committed as a team and as a university authorizer to ensuring that success and failure of our students isn't determined or predictable based on social, cultural, or economic factors. And I think that really is the most important thing. So it really establishes that foundation for us where we're saying, you know, 
the social, cultural, economic factors for our students is not going to be a predictable outcome of how, whether or not they're going to be successful in their educational experience. That's first and foremost. Um, I think it also drives then that that foundational idea drives then how we are establishing policies for holding our schools accountable from an academic standpoint. Um, it certainly has helped shape the way that we've created our performance framework for measuring school success and monitoring and oversight in our schools. It's also been really instrumental in how we have established our staff and really structured ourselves as a team. So, for example, Allie and Caitlin are here with me today. And um, when we really sat down around the table and decided that we needed to add new new members to our Education One team, we really said, what is it specifically that we need them to do from a pragmatic standpoint, logistically, right? But then also, what is it that our mission is driving us to do? And we know that we want to add value to our schools and help to address the equity gap that exists for them. So we really thought a lot about their specific roles as we were thinking through hiring new folks. And we thought about this idea of a K-12 to trine pipeline and what that specifically looks like. So we actually say, you know, we want to be able to support our K-12 schools. We want to do that really well through things like partnerships with our university, right? Because we have a plethora of resources at our fingertips. We have students who are excited to be in our schools and who want to partner with our students um, in our K-12 schools. And then we also know that there's another side to that, right? Where our K-12 schools have a lot of value that they can add and resources that they can bring to our trying students here on campus. And so that's like that 12 and beyond pipeline part. Um, So we really decided to break down the K-12 and beyond pipeline into two specific roles, and that would be Caitlin and Allie. So we we wanted to address the K-12 support and partnership piece. So how are um, our trying students supporting our K-12 students? Specifically, I think we've done that in how we have created Allie and Caitlin's roles. So we want to support our K-12 students, and and we know that our university students can add a lot of value in our K-12 schools. And so that specifically is Allie. Allie's role uniquely works with our trying students to take them into our K-12 schools and really provide opportunities like internships and job placement opportunities, et cetera. Um, and just taking a lot of like resources, people, time, energy, et cetera, down to our K-12 schools. And then on the flip side of that, on the other side of that like cycle, we have Caitlin, who's specifically working with our K-12 schools and getting them, bringing them to Trine to experience all that, you know, higher ed has to offer. And for many of our students, they haven't necessarily ever envisioned themselves in a higher ed space. And so that is absolutely one of the ways that we're addressing the equity gap. And I think having that that focus on equity as one of our guiding principles really has driven the creation of, you know, how we're establishing ourselves in our schools, how we're holding them accountable with monitoring and oversight, but then specifically how we've staffed ourselves to ensure that we're supporting our schools appropriately. Do you guys want to talk a little bit more about your specific roles and how you are uniquely addressing the equity gaps for our schools? Yes, of course. So through my role as the university partnerships and marketing specialist, I get the unique opportunity to support students through Trine's resources. So I always see that I view it in academics and a philanthropic perspective. So one way that we do this is Trine Pals, which is a pen pal program that we currently do with Trine students on campus where they 
write letters back and forth with multiple third grade classes across the state. And this gives the opportunity not only for the students in our K-12 schools to work on their academic skills, um, to focus on their reading and writing, but also to learn more about a student in college, what their life looks like, and gain a new perspective. For a lot of our trying students, they fall in love with the kids and really get to understand a different perspective of what it's like to be an English language learner or what it's like to live on the south side of Fort Wayne, Indiana, what it's like to live in Muncie, Indiana. They get to learn new perspectives about students. That's super important. And really helps, I think, inform some of the decisions they might make as they move into the workforce, right? So for many of our student teachers or even trine pals that are not necessarily even from the Frank School of Education, they've not ever really encountered students outside of their geographic location, right? So that really helps to inform like, hey, I have a passion for urban education that I didn't even know that I had um, because I haven't necessarily had those experiences before. So it really kind of helps to shape what their next steps might look like too beyond, you know, just trying. And I think also from the K-12 perspective, our K-12 students, specifically our third graders with this program, are getting to see what being a college student is like. And they're getting to have that point of contact early on to see like, what are my options? What majors are there? What are people doing with this? And just getting that experience that they may not necessarily get due to their location within the state. Yeah, not even that, but even just something so basic is like, where does a college student sleep? Right. Many of them don't even have the context to understand that you don't necessarily live at home when you go to a university. And so that's something that's really unique for many of them. And they get to have that those experiences um, because of the work that Ali is doing with university partnerships specifically. And as we continue to look into academics, we get to support like also middle schoolers with hosting writing contests. And then from the philanthropic perspective, we get to support by doing clothing drives. Um, we get to support with PB&Jathon, which is an initiative that we do at Trine University where a lot of the student organizations come together and make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for um, Timothy L. Johnson Academy located in Fort Wayne to ensure that students have a meal over a long weekend when um, the students have a day off of school. And that's really important because the vast majority of those families are economically disadvantaged. And so many of the students in that school specifically eat three meals a day at school. So they're eating breakfast, lunch, and then an after-school snack and or dinner through their um, after-school Boys and Girls Club program that they have at their campus. So when school is not in session, um, you know, theoretically, they don't necessarily have access to three meals a day. And so it is really important. And that's one of the ways that our trying students are stepping up and supporting those scholars in that specific school. Um, and then the other side of that with K-12 to Trine, um, within my role, I have the unique experience of bringing students here to campus, um, being able to have the opportunity to work with departments on campus that um, highlight or feature some of the things that our students are working on within their middle schools and high schools um, to get just a different perspective here at the university level. Um, but not only that, we also have elementary students coming participating in STEM camps, which they get to interact then with university staff, university students, um, and just 
like Lindsay spoke to earlier, seeing a college campus, they get to see a dorm room and kind of that perspective of like, what is it actually like to be on campus? Uh, many of our students are 21st century scholars. So they don't have that realm of understanding of what a university is like, what's available to them. And so bringing them onto campus and letting them experience those things is very impactful. And it's so amazing to be able to see them leave and say, oh, I can't wait till I get to come back to Trine. Or even as they're getting older and making those decisions of like wanting to attend Trine and just that impact that we're able to make in kind of helping them shape their future, but not necessarily that, just letting them see that there are options available to them that aren't dependent, like Lindsay spoke to earlier, on different things, different labels, different... Uh, yeah, they're economic factors, yes. right? Social, cultural, economic factors. That's absolutely right. I think one of the coolest things is, you know, going back to just the guiding principle of focus on equity, one of the coolest things is this is a way that we are truly addressing um, a gap that exists, but it's an access barrier, right? So many of these students, many of our students in our charter school specifically have not necessarily ever envisioned themselves at a four-year university, specifically a private university, um, because, you know, that was just not something that was available to them in the past or that not necessarily something that they saw a path forward for. Um, and not because they're not incredibly brilliant or have, you know, massive ambitions, just like every other student that you can imagine they do, um, but they just didn't necessarily know that that was an avenue that was open to them. And so I think by, you know, bringing them to our campus, showing them what resources do exist for them, introducing them to the financial aid team, um, talking to them about the programs that we offer and paths forward for them and how they can, you know, get to trying, it's really just opening their eyes to things that they didn't necessarily know existed. Um, and specifically to a campus that they might not have been aware of just based on where they geographically are located in the state. So it's been really, really cool to watch the two of you in your role. So how do you uh, define an equity gap? That's a good question. I think in the most simple of terms, you know, it really is just um, an equity gap is something that exists that prevents someone from being as successful as they could be otherwise, right? So any kind of access barrier that might exist, and it could be caused from a variety of things. Um, I think first and foremost, one thing that's important to recognize is just the context of what's happening in the state of Indiana. So when we look at student achievement specifically in the state of Indiana, and we break it down by subgroup. So we look at gender or free and reduced lunch, special education, English learners, um, race and ethnicity. When we break it down by those things, what we tend to see is a massive disparity between the performance of subgroups. And so, um, you know, I spoke earlier to the fact that we don't want social, cultural, or economic factors to determine someone's success in education, determine a student's success. And yet we see that happening currently in the state of Indiana. So um, primarily we see female students in Indiana outperforming male students. And when I say outperforming, you know, it's, it's more than double. Um, we see specifically the same, same trends when we look at white students versus black students. Um, in many cases, it's, it's really the disparity is huge. Um, and also when, we, when we're looking specifically at growth, we're seeing that same disparity with our economically disadvantaged students and um, our English learner students as well. So I think just first and foremost, understanding that, you know, this is a real problem. We're seeing it, you know, nationally, but specifically in Indiana, it's a real issue that exists. Um, and so we're trying to find creative ways to help address that in the work that we're doing. Equity gaps that we see present at our schools, one that 
I see and I work with often within our schools is the lack of access to food and clothing just due to family situations and what they're born into. And we get the opportunity to support these students by doing clothing drives and food drives and addressing those gaps within all of our schools because if students are not getting their basic needs met, then they're going to struggle when it comes to that academic sense in school being able to learn if you are hungry at school you're not going to be able to focus on the writing lesson that's ahead of you so that's something that I get to do in my role that's really pertinent and important to support students well I think it goes back to Maslow's right so when we think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs that basic need is really making sure you have your your basic like food clothing shelter water right And so you're exactly right when you say it absolutely impacts academic achievement of our students if they're coming to school hungry and if they're sitting in their seat during math time and their stomach is growling and that's all they can think about is when when or where they're going to get their next meal. That absolutely has an impact on brain function and academic achievement ultimately. So that is the work that you're doing around helping support our scholars um, and utilizing our trying students to help you know, drive that support is really, really important. I think the other thing, and I know we're not talking about that lens in particular today, but being educators and coming from a background where we have all been in the classroom, we are able to see the need for that um, and being able to like do things that address those needs because we've lived it. And I think, you know, that makes us unique as authorizers because we're able to look at all situations having been in the classroom and address those needs. I think that bleeds a little bit into the work that you're doing as well, Caitlin, and your role specifically with supporting students with dual enrollment and through programs like Instant Admission. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, within my role, as we know, we're looking at the K-12-2 trine um, pipeline as we're calling it. Um, So with looking at that, we are offering dual enrollment opportunities for our high school students to take advantage of. Um, Many of them do not have the access to those courses that are then helping them graduate with many college credits that they can transfer to trying or to another four-year university that may be a better fit for them. Um, But the other access piece is just that college opportunity. So through instant admission, um, our high school students have the opportunity to be instantly admitted to trying um, and, you know, offering them an opportunity that they may not have thought was possible for them. And I think just to be clear, there are set criteria for, like, they don't just get instant admission to trying, right? They have to be... (laughs) Basics, basic criteria around academic performance, GPA requirements, et cetera. Absolutely. Um, but assuming that they meet those things, then mm-hmm. we've helped to sort of streamline the pipeline for them from high school into trying university specifically um, to just help make that path a little bit easier for them. And I know you mentioned earlier that many of our students are 21st century scholars. And so eliminating any of the barriers that might exist for them, whether that's filling out an application or helping them navigate, you know, financial aid when that might be really foreign and uncomfortable to them, um, is it's huge. Mm -hmm. And being able to offer that support piece of, um, you know, trying staff, Education One staff coming in and having those conversations. Um, We've got wonderful staff here at Trine, along with our office, who will go in and have those conversations regarding our instant admission process, regarding um, dual enrollment, and kind of helping students who would otherwise maybe not have that information readily available to them. How are equity gaps identified within schools? I know you mentioned test scores 
um, but those obviously have their limitations. What are some other ways that uh, that I, equity gaps are identified? I think first and foremost, we really have been intentional around, I mean, I'm going to go back to the guiding principle that we're talking about today, focus on equity, right? Like we've been really intentional about saying it's really important to include the stakeholders who are directly impacted. So it would be um, inappropriate from my perspective for us to sit around the table and say that we can identify every school's equity gaps. Can we identify some of them? Of course, we know our schools very, very well, but the more important thing is that the folks that are directly impacted that are on the ground, right, in their schools are the ones identifying the gaps that exist. And so for us, we've approached that by, we do, um, every year we bring all of our school leaders to Trine um, for, in the summer, for a two-day leadership seminar. And this past summer, when they were with us, I think in June, um, we actually challenged them to say, hey, we want you to really think about your population and the specific needs um, that are unique to your school and your campus. We want you to talk to us in just really clearly about what equity gaps exist for you, right? What are the challenges that your population are facing that might not be something that we've really allowed space for in the past, right? Because Charter school accountability is so high stakes in the state of Indiana specifically. There are um, statutory requirements around, you know, how many years you can be designated as low performing, how many years you can, you know, be um, before before you're required to be closed. And so that means that it's very high stakes accountability, right? Like a five year period of time to turn around or to, to get your students who are three grade levels behind to grade level and performing according to a state assessment is really high stakes. Um, and because of that, we have not always had allowed our schools the freedom and flexibility when we've looked at charter accountability and academic outcomes specifically to veer too far off the path when it comes to state testing accountability data. We still don't, if I'm really honest with you, we still look very much at state achievement and growth data. But one thing we did allow our schools to do this past summer was to say, these gaps also exist for us. And this is something that you haven't really ever given us an opportunity to share before. Um, but they're very valid and real challenges that exist. And now we want to you know, know them and hear about them so that we can best ensure that we are holding our schools accountable to those really high standards that are required by law, but also being really cognizant and mindful of the valid things that they are facing on a daily basis. And while having those equity gaps addressed, it also provides us in our office an opportunity to provide support for them. Um, and I think a lot of those things come through Allie and I's position of being able to partner with them and kind of find innovative, creative ways to help address some of the gaps that our schools are facing um, from a non-academic standpoint. Absolutely. I spoke to one of the challenges earlier in just regards to English learner, the high population of English learners and family members who are not necessarily English speakers. And another one, though, I think that would be really good to talk about is we have a school that really their equity challenge is their location. So based on where they're geographically located, they don't have access 
to, you know, any kind of a city. They're just so rurally located. They don't have access to many of the things that, you know, we might take for granted. So even going to like Walmart or a grocery store takes, you know, 30 plus minutes for them on very windy, dark, hilly roads, Mm -hmm. right? And so in the winter, or if transportation is a barrier for that, for a specific family, you know, that creates a lot of access issues for those families. So Allie, maybe you can talk a little bit more about one of the ways that we're working to address equity gaps specifically around, you know, that school and geographic location, resource access being a problem for them. Caitlin and I, within our role, um, get the opportunity to support students through partnerships. And when we collaborate with the school, um, we are able to use grant dollars to bring STEM camps to their schools. So the students are able to experience what we offer through trying for a lot of our other charter schools, even though they are far down south in the state of Indiana and it's harder to reach them. Not only are we able to provide uh, grant dollars to support people going to our schools to provide opportunities for our students, but we also have the opportunity to use those grant dollars of bringing students onto campus, um, schools that may not have the resources to provide busing for multiple grades of students. Um, I know at times we are bringing entire schools to campus to experience opportunities with our STEM camps or other programming. Um, So being able to use grant dollars to be able to bring all of those students up so that all students have the opportunity to be able to experience campus is one of the really awesome things that we're able to do. We also get to use grant dollars to support um, a group of third graders at one of our charter schools to receive books. Um, This group specifically of students, they're um, majority English language learners and a lot of their parents do not speak English at home. So being able to provide them with books that are English for them to be able to read at home, either with older siblings or to bring to school and read with adults there is so incredibly important since they have that lack of access due to that language barrier. Obviously, we wouldn't be able to do any of those things without help from our wonderful Trine University team, right? So we are super grateful to get to work with campus events and the other academic departments on campus um, because they just do such a fantastic job of you know, creating an environment where our students are excited to come to campus, right? They're excited to ride on a bus for two plus hours to come see all of the opportunities that exist for them. So we're really grateful for the folks here at Trine who help make all of that happen as well. And who really are committed to our mission just as much as we are in that regard of wanting to bring students to campus to see the opportunities that are available to them. Recently, you made changes for what's called your APPF framework. Um, Can you maybe define what that is and what motivated those changes? Yeah, absolutely. Our APPF is just our accountability plan performance framework. So it's a mouthful, which is why we tend to refer to it as APPF instead of instead of the entire thing. You might often hear us also refer to it as a performance framework, just simplified a little bit. Um, so our performance framework, or our APPF, is really the guiding document that, that defines how we provide monitoring and oversight, um, accountability, so to speak, for all of our schools. So it's outlined in four different sections. Uh, We have very clear performance metrics related to academic performance and how we're measuring that, Um, financial performance in our schools and how we're holding our schools accountable in that way, 
organizational performance, which is both for the school leader and the governing board of this school. And then we also have a fourth section in our performance framework, which is all around school culture and climate and really measuring overall satisfaction of stakeholders. So we look specifically at parents, students, and staff and their overall satisfaction and experience in the school um, to ensure that not only are our schools providing a high quality choice option, but that families are in fact satisfied and will continue to choose that option over and over again. In regards to our performance framework, what we realized, you know, when we first started doing this work um, in the charter school space in 2012, we were required by law, and we still are, to do three, we had three main obligations by law, I should say. So our obligations, according to statute, were to hold schools accountable in regards to academic, financial, and organizational performance, those three things that I just mentioned in our APPF. Um, And we did that very well-intentioned when we first began, right? We said, hey, we have this idea that every kid deserves to learn, every kid deserves to be successful in school, and we stand by that idea still today. But we went about it in a way of approaching it saying that um, what we need to do in order to ensure every kid learns is have these really high expectations for every student, right? And we kind of made blanket expectations for what that looked like. So we said high expectations looks like 70% of your students passing um, the Indiana State Assessment. And what we ended up finding over time as we continued to implement our performance framework was even the state of Indiana wasn't meeting the expectations in our performance framework, right? Mm -hmm. So the expectations were not um, intended to be inequitable, but they they were massively inequitable, right? And so the more that we um, put our performance framework into action, the more that we started to recognize that there were equity gaps that existed and it wasn't necessarily aligned to the belief that we had, which was that every student can learn, every student can be successful. We want to keep high expectations for our schools and our students, but also at the same time have to recognize that, you know, our schools and students are facing unique challenges in different parts of the state and we can't just look at them in one specific way. So we need to be um, approaching school oversight, monitoring accountability in a way that's equally as unique as our school and student. This change actually kind of resulted in some national recognition. Some, I, I think you were at some conferences that you presented at over the summer. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. We've been actually doing a lot of work with national partners around the adjustments to our performance framework. So I think I mentioned earlier that we, you know, we started to sort of notice that there was an inequity or a misalignment with our framework and sort of the internal belief or the core belief that we had um, that was driving the work that we were doing. We knew all students could be successful, but we weren't seeing that according to our framework. And so we really started to say, hey, we need to, what is, what is, what's wrong with the framework essentially, right? Like, why isn't it, why are we not seeing alignment? We're seeing really great things happening in our schools, but we don't see alignment with that when we're measuring it against this framework that's been created. So we started to notice the equity gap that existed and how we were measuring um, academic performance specifically in our schools. And we, at that point, realized that we needed to do, we needed to reach out and bring in some um, external partners that had more of an expertise in that work than we did. So we worked specifically with the National Charter Schools Institute, which is a nationally recognized partner and advocate for charter school work across the country. Um, And they were working with the National Equity Project. And so we participated initially in um, what was supposed to be just like a six-week a six-week experience where we really were able to 
dismantle our accountability plan performance framework and rebuild it in a way that was more equitable with a more equitable lens. Um, in doing that work, we realized that we were very much aligned to the folks that we were working with at the National Charter Schools Institute and that we just had this driving passion for approaching school accountability in an equitable way. And that really kind of motivated our next step. So they invited us to be um, an early adopter, which is really exciting. There's only a handful of charter authorizers across the country that have been invited to be early adopters. And training, Education One at Trine University is one of them, which we're really proud of. Um, and as a part of that work, we are then responsible for sharing the work that we're doing, providing resources to other authorizers who are interested in doing this work as well. And so um, we present at... I don't even remember how many conferences were required to help present at, but we presented a handful of conferences each year um, regarding the, the equity work that we're doing and how we're measuring school performance and academic achievement in a way that is mindful of, you know, high expectations, but also the unique challenges that our schools are facing. All of this really goes to show how Education One at Trine University like impacts locally, statewide, and nationally with how the work within our office supports our schools, but also other authorizers across the nation continue to become more equitable. How does Education One support the charter schools through partnerships with their goals to close the equity gaps and provide innovative education? So through the national work that Education One at Trine University is doing, um, with the leadership seminar that took place over the summer, um, we challenged our schools to really look at the equity gaps that were within their buildings and worked with them to create school-specific goals that really address the equity gaps that exist for them at an individual school level. Um, and then from there, we were able to incorporate those into the APPF that Lindsay spoke to earlier. So while we are still able to hold those high expectations in regards to academic accountability, we are also looking at the equity piece that we know is so important to student success. And this all falls back into, again, our first guiding principle, focusing on equity within our office. We want to make sure that we're equitable with how we evaluate schools and we're holding our schools to that same expectation that they're working to close that equity gap that students face daily within their schools. So how are leaders at the individual education one schools addressing the equity gap in an innovative way? I am so glad you asked that question because we are really excited in the coming weeks to continue to share with you. And we've actually invited our school leaders to come join our podcast. And they're going to speak specifically to that, James, around just the innovative approach that they're taking at each of their unique schools um, to ensure that they're addressing the equity gap that exists for their families. Well, thank you all for joining me today. Be sure to tune in in the upcoming weeks as we hear from leaders at the individual Education One schools and as they discuss how they are addressing the equity gap in an innovative way. Thank you so much. Thanks, James. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network. Learn more at trine.edu.